0: My name is Jordan Johnson, I am the Student Ministries Director here at uh, FBC, and it is my joy and privilege to bring to you guys today's message from the Word. We are in this series called Apprentices of the King, and so we're right in the middle of a five-week series, uh, and so Adam and Slade, and Slade have done a wonderful job of setting us up on the what and the why, and now we're going to continue on asking this question next of How? how are apprentices made? If you take the raw ingredients that Slade and Adam talked about, how do we take this, this thing and turn it into sausage, I guess, kind of way? Okay? So that's what we're going to be exploring today. Um, and I'm very excited about this um, because apprenticeship is, it's a human thing. And so it's worth taking the time to asking how are apprentices made because if you look at the reality of our life, human beings are, will be apprenticed by something. You cannot avoid it. Even the person who stands off in the corner says, no, I don't believe in anything. Uh, there are no authorities over my life. That guy learned it from someone else, okay? So to be alive, to be human means you will be apprenticed. Parents, your children are your disciples. Let that sink in. And they will grow up, and then they will have teachers and other mentors and coaches that will been, be able to impact and influence their lives. But the core thing that we need to talk about is that discipleship and apprenticeship is automatic. It is a human thing. It cannot be denied. And so when we talk about how apprentices are made, we know that I don't have to tell you how, it just happens automatically, but what we can talk about is we can narrow that down to a very more specific question, and that was, how did Jesus make apprentices? So that's what we're going to be exploring today, that's what we're going to be looking at, and we're going to be um, in the entire book of Matthew, oh, no, sorry, we're not going to go through the whole book of Matthew, wouldn't that be fun? But no, we're going to be entirely in the book of Matthew today. Um, because I believe in my study of the scriptures that Jesus had a very specific method for discipleship found in the book of Matthew, and so we're going to look there. Um, so, and, and, but we're going to begin in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 has been this passage that we've been kind of using to anchor our study of apprenticeship, and so we're going to start there, and then we're going to see what we see. So in Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 16, and this is what it says. to the end of the age. Okay, so this is a very good passage, but there's some problems with that. We're going to about start talking about that in a little bit. Okay, um, but first, when we look at this passage, there's three words I want you guys to notice because these words are going to guide us in what we're talking about today. The first word is doubted. you guys ever see that? You said that word up there? Doubted. Okay, take that word, put that in your back pocket. We'll pick it up later. Um, but right now, so so is there? Okay, cool. Okay, the second word I want you guys to look at is the word go. Okay, now that word there, that, that sets up the posture of the passage that we just read. It is a motivation. It is a direction to go. So that's interesting. Cool. And the third word I want you guys to look at is this word right here, the word authority. Now, when Jesus talks about all authority on heavens and earth, this is, of course, as a result of his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection has proven that he is who he says he is, and so because he is who he says he is, he has that authority, okay? Now, um, and so because—well, yeah, mm, yes, okay. So he, because he has that authority, is why he's able to tell his disciples— to go. Okay? So let's stop and look at this word authority because I want to talk about the problems of this passage. The problem is, if we're looking at how Jesus made disciples, why are we beginning at the very end of the book? Nobody? That's okay. I wasn't asking. But when you look at it, who was he talking to? Who was he greatly commissioning? His disciples, right? and this was not this was not the first time in fact they had spent the previous 3 years being discipled, being apprentices of him to lead up to this point where they then go. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking this word authority and we're going to work backwards through the book of Matthew, because we start at the end, you can work at the beginning and it works both ways. Okay. But if you can start and we're going to work backwards and we're going to trace the word authority through the book of Matthew. And I will show you what I believe to be Jesus method for apprenticeship. You guys ready? Cool. I hope I am. Okay, here we go. So to to, to begin our journey, we need a good working definition of the word authority, okay? So if you go to Merriam-Webster, this is what they have. This is my favorite one. That's why I picked it. Power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. A power to influence, command... Where is it? (laughs) Thoughts, opinions, or behavior. There it is. Thoughts, opinions, or behavior. So real quick, and this is, you guys, you guys already know how this works. So if I am driving in my car and I look in the mirror and I see red and blue lights flashing, okay, because of the authority of the Longview Police Department, my behavior is to pull over to the side of the road. See how that works? Yeah, cool. Okay. Now, oftentimes we're very familiar with authority having some sort of power institution, like a government or like in the police department. But really, authority, the reality is, authority exists everywhere. Okay. I can pick up a carton of ice cream and it has authority. It's saying that this, whatever this is, is an appropriate serving size. That's an authority. It's a power to influence thoughts, opinions, or behavior. Now, this is the catch. This is what I want you guys to grasp onto real quick, okay? Each and every one of you here today and forever for all of humankind has the ability to choose whether or not you accept authority, So if I take my carton of ice cream and I look and it says this is an appropriate serving size, I have the choice whether or not I allow it to have authority over my life. Does that make sense? Now, we can even take it back. Let's go back to our police example. Uh, And so even though my behavior is to pull over the side of the road, I will always, always have the choice whether or not to allow the Longview Police Department to have authority over me. Now, in their case, they have the ability to to influence consequences on me um, if I refuse to do that and stuff. And some some authorities have more power than others. I'm not going to get arrested by Bluebell um, if I refuse their authority. So, that, that, but at this point, I want you guys to see, each and every one of us has the ability to pick and to choose which things we allow to have authority over us. So, and I would add this on to this definition of authority. It's an external source, and that's the thing I want to point out, too. It's an external source that you allow to affect your decisions, okay? And, and even we, we can really sum this up in the best way by looking at America's favorite Scotsman, William Wallace, right up there. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, not that one. That one, okay. <laughs> When you look at this movie, okay, the whole movie, the whole story sets itself up is that whether he is at peace or in conflict, William Wallace lives in a realm in which there is an authority over him, but yet he never allows it to reign over him. You guys see what I'm talking about? And this is he happens whether he's at fighting or whether he's not fighting, he lives as though they do not have authority of him. And of course, as the movie goes on, it proves that they do have authority, but he ends up still dying as a result of his choices, never allowing that authority. And how interesting is it that he's the hero of the story? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting too. So when we have to look at this word authority... We need to understand the reality that you guys, as sentient human beings, have the ability to choose what you allow authority over your life. And so that's going to play into effect when we talk about apprenticeship, because apprenticeship and authority are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. They are apprentices of Jesus because of his authority, and they goad, they went... (laughs) Uh, that was on purpose, because of his authority in his apprenticeship. So when we trace the word authority through the book of Matthew, you will find that it shows up roughly five or six times. And the very first time this word is used is found in Matthew chapter 7, where it says this. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So if you guys remember back in week one of this series, Adam was kind of talking about the philosophical underpinnings of how authority works and what it is. And one of the things that he said that I remembered was that the the Jewish tradition, they had this idea uh, of authority and discipleship. And so what that means is that you had a rabbi, and then this rabbi would teach his disciples, his teachings, Cool. And then that disciple would then go on to the next disciple and teach the same thing. It was a very direct pass down. Whatever this rabbi taught is what this disciple taught, and what this disciple taught, and so on and so forth. And so when they were talking about Jesus, and, and, they say, and, they, and then he says he was teaching as one who had authority, one of the questions going through their minds was who was this guy's rabbi? We have never heard this before. And so, and of course, if you look at Matthew chapter 7, it happens at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous blocks of teaching found in the Scriptures, which also, if you want a really good definition of what apprenticeship looks like, now, we don't have the time today. I would love to, but going through a slow, methodical study through the Sermon on the Mount, and you will see what Jesus was talking about that was making these people saying, who is this guy? But, so, like I said, we don't have time to go all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, but we do have time to go back to the beginning of the sermon and figure out what was going on that these people were saying, huh? Okay, so if we go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as you guys know, the sermon starts in Matthew chapter 5. And so if we go to the very end of Matthew chapter 4, there's some things in here that I want you guys to see. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 4. And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria... And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. The great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan." Okay. So real, real quick recap of Matthew chapter four, it begins with him being tempted and then it moves into John the Baptist being arrested, which also means Jesus picked up right where he left off. And then it goes through him picking his disciples and then it moves into him ministering to these people. Okay. And this is kind of the epilogue. This is setting up the sermon on the Mount. So, um, and so, oh, but it gets even better. Are you guys ready for this? I want you guys to see this, okay? If we begin, so not beginning, this is at the end. At the end of Matthew chapter 4, you see that because of his ministry, people are coming to him. And and these crowds that are gathering because of this guy they'd never heard of, but he's doing amazing things. Jesus, again, brings them to the one place. And then look what happens in the very first verse of the next chapter. Matthew chapter 5. I want you guys to see this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. How interesting is that? So so real quick, I'm going to point out some major differences between Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew 28, most primarily being the posture, whereas Matthew 28, it is go, where in Matthew chapter 4, he sits. I want you guys to notice that. Because honestly, in the life of the church, it's very easy for us to teach you guys how to go. I would argue it's more difficult to teach you guys how to sit. And we can argue about that later. I'm speaking from my own experience. And so when Jesus went up to the mountains, these great crowds that were following him, he sat down, and they came to him because they wanted to hear more. And because they wanted to hear from him, that automatically makes them disciples. They were beginning the apprenticeship process with Jesus. And so if we look at Matthew chapter 4, I can pull out three things, which what I'm calling the three attributes of apprenticeship— according to Jesus, okay? And so if we look at Matthew chapter 4, these are the three things that we come up with. Teaching in the community, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, and healing the diseased and afflicted. That's what Jesus was doing, which attracted people to him, which whenever he sat down, people said, I'm going to sit down too, and I want to hear what he has to say. So we're going to do so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through each of these three things and kind of explore what that means possibly and then we're going to move into some other fun stuff that I have for you guys in a little bit. But for now, let's begin. And we're going to begin with proclaiming, and there's a very specific reason why we're beginning with proclaiming, which we'll find out in a little bit. But this idea of proclaiming, we need a good working definition because some people It's like, what is the difference between proclaiming and what is the difference between teaching? What's the difference between proclaiming? Uh, Some people have used the word preaching, and I think that's a fairly um, uh, okay way to use that. Um, But there is a difference between proclaiming and teaching. And this this is the definition I have for proclaiming. The invitation to participate in the kingdom of heaven, which is available through, no, not through, to all people right now through Jesus Christ that is what proclaiming is when jesus and the john the baptist before him said repent for the kingdom of heaven is here That's what they are doing. And so we have to ask the question, what does it look like to participate in the kingdom of heaven? Because when you see in the book of Matthew, they use present tense terms, which means they believed that it was happening right then and right now. And for us as modern Christians, we also believe that it is happening right here and right now. So what does it mean? So I'm reminded last week, um, if you guys were here, uh, Slade had a wonderful sermon where he talked about um, apprenticeship, and I remember he had this wonderful verse that he talked about. Let's see if you guys remember this one. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, finish that for me, I will give you rest. That is participating in the kingdom. Doesn't that sound nice? Another way of saying that is that Jesus meets these people, and what he's doing is he's saying, all of your life, these are the rules that you've known by how to play the game. All your life, these are the expectations you have had. All of your life, these are the people who have been in charge of you. What if it could be different? Follow me. I'm going to show you a different way. When Jesus is proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom, it is God's next step move forward in human history. Where he's saying that whole idea where heaven and earth is separated, we are now going to start bringing it back together, and it's an exciting thing, I think. <laughs> are you dissatisfied with life? What if it could be different? Follow me, and I will show you. And guys, I, please, I, I will be very honest with you, as a person who has spent the majority of my life as a Christian, rather than as a non-Christian, there are still times when even in this culture, I can be dissatisfied, and even in this culture that we live, Christ is still calling, saying, follow me, I will show you a better way. And let's move on to healing. What? What is Healing. I mean this next part I want to be very clear with the definitions definitions of this one um, because while it is appropriate and biblical that healing does happen it can cross a line that goes beyond of what the bible was intending it to go and so this is how we're going to define healing A demonstration of the redemption of all things through the revelation of God's good presence here and now through the words and deeds of his people. Uh, at, the, at week one, Adam spent a lot of time unpacking Colossians 1, which is this amazing bit of, of prose and poetry about Christ, the risen King." And one of those lines in there was, "He is reconciling all things to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross." And the question I have to ask is, how? How do you reconcile things? You heal them. You bring about the redemption. When you see and says, this is not how it's supposed to be, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what I am doing when I enter into this world, is I am showing you what it will look like when my job is done. And he does that through miraculous ways. He does that through laying on of his hands. And dare I say, he even does that by healing the broken relationships, which every single one of us knows all too well. Because I can even show you, if you guys looked at John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, I guarantee you that was a story of healing. And whether or not he, he didn't even lay hands on her, okay, but you guys know this story. He shows up, okay, and, with, and he has divine insight because he is who he says he is. And then he says, hey, I've come to offer you new life. And she says, oh, uh, no thank you, I'm, I'm fine. How often do we answer with that? And for the rest of the story, they are arguing about the new life that she doesn't need until finally she gets it, and it shakes her to her core, and she walks away from that. And I guarantee you she experienced healing, and she experienced healing because Christ sat with her and bore witness to the sufferings that she was in and the state that she was in, and he says, this is not how it's supposed to be. I've come to offer something different. And when she gets it, she experiences that healing. And then, if you guys know the story, what happened after she's done with Jesus? She starts evangelizing. Healed people evangelize. Amen? And so, yes, as apprentices, we should be healing. And that happens in many different ways. But if we talk about how all of Christianity is centered around this relationship of the Trinity, then you know for sure that relational health is a core foundation, not of this church, but also of how Christ designed everything to work when it was created. And so for us to participate in healing people and their relationships and the sufferings that they have experienced just because they're human and living this life, that is a cool thing, is it not? So let's move on to teaching. The very last one, it's mentioned first in Matthew chapter 4, but there's a reason why we're doing this one last, and because that's what Jesus did. So if you, so like I said, if you go from Matthew chapter 7 to Matthew chapter 28, there's roughly four or five uh, times the word authority is used, okay? One of those times is in Matthew chapter 10. And if you guys know this story, it's a story of Jesus sending out his disciples on kind of a short-term mission, uh, if, if I can use that term. And he says, go and do this. And when he tells them to go, he says, proclaim the gospel that he... Uh, the, uh, <laughs> yes, the gospel of the healing, guess what it is? Proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, and heal, but he says nothing about teaching. And in fact, he never mentions them ever doing any teaching until we get to Matthew 28. When then, at Matthew 28, then, now, go teach. But not yet. And so that's why we we're looking at this one last, because it's kind of curious why. And because Jesus just I mean, he's just the smartest guy that's ever lived, is he not? You know there's a reason why. And so this is this is so this is the definition and then we're gonna talk about the reasoning why. The definition I have for teaching is sharing with one another what God has revealed about his character and the reality of our relationship with him. So teaching involves being in the scriptures, and then when you're in the scriptures learning about the character of God and about the nature of our reality in him and how he sees us and what he's done and what he's been doing and what has happened and all that, when you share with someone else, you're teaching teaching. Now, I would say this one is one of the slowest of the three, and I think there's a good reason for that because this is the hardest. When you even talk about when the disciples came back in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, they were like, Whoa, we did this stuff and it worked. And Jesus is like, I know. I, I know. Okay? And so there's a sense of the proclaiming and the healing, and you go, Oh, yeah, it gets us excited. Look at all this stuff we could do. But then it comes to teaching, and he's like, You don't get it yet. You're not prepared. You need to sit some more before you go. And so when we talk about teaching, there's, a very, there's good reasons because this is a lifelong process. When you're continually learning about an infinite being, where's the stopping point? I ask you, please tell me, because sometimes I get tired. Okay? But not just that. When you're in a lifelong process of learning more, then it always keeps you just a little bit from saying, ah, I think I got it now. Because I think one of the most wonderful teachings uh, that I have ever received about Jesus is saying, when you think you've got it, you probably don't. Because a lot of this is talking about what does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to reign among humans here and now. And you guys look, this happens, this shows up in the parables. And you guys see when Jesus tells his parables, some of them, he explained, and some nothing. Why? Please, you please tell why? 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 No, no, that's that's not that's not how it works. You see, Jesus Christ. He also followed the uh, the rabbinical tradition of how they taught, and the way that they taught was they just say these things, and then okay, good luck. What? Oh, we, okay. Because the idea is that you would take what the teacher was teaching you and you would sit with it for a long time and you would think, well, maybe it could be this. Or, or maybe it could be that. Once again, that active imagination of wondering what does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to reign among humans here and now. And I could even add on in your own individual context. When your work, your careers, your home life, what does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be reigning here and now in your home life? These are questions to contemplate. And so when we look at the three attributes of apprenticeship according to Jesus, we need to talk about the expectations. Now, Adam kind of mentioned this, too, in his first sermon, too, but but the idea behind this was that every rabbi was, or, <laughs> every, wait a minute, who is this? Christians, there we go, okay. Thank you, thank you all. Oh God, I gotta hydrate. It's not funny. This is serious. Okay, back online. Okay, so the idea that Adam was kind of fleshing out is that in the Christian tradition, those that followed Jesus, there was this expectation that every Christian was a rabbi and every Christian was also a disciple. It's a both and kind of thing. There's not some Christians that are rabbis and some Christians are disciples, but the expectation was that for when Jesus was teaching his disciples, his apprentices, is that you are my disciples and you will also have disciples and that you need to be doing both at the same time. So, the Christian model for apprenticeship is that every Christian is a rabbi and every Christian is a disciple. And so, Based on what we've learned here in in Matthew chapter 4, we have to wrestle with this reality. Disciples can only be made by those who are being discipled. You cannot go unless you are willing to sit first. If you want to be a teacher in the life of the church, but you are unwilling to be taught, how can you be an apprentice? If you want to build an organization that preaches the gospel to all the nations, but you are unwilling to hear the gospel in regards to your own life, how can you be an apprentice? If you want to see yourself as a person who reconciles with others and helps people walk through that path of healing, but you are unwilling to pay attention to the needs of your own healing, how can you be a disciple? Guys, this is... this is not only is this how Jesus expects us to behave, but the only other reasons why is because if everybody is following this model, then the church can be a safe place for any person to walk in. And guys, for us to do the work that Christ gave us to do, the church has to be a safe place. Please give me an amen on that one. We want anyone to walk through the door, and because we are all sitting and teaching and being taught by one another, that they can walk in the door and say, This is different. But we're not done yet. I mean, we could end right now and pray and go out, but we're we're not done yet. We still have some more things to do. Because if you guys remember, we have a word in our back pocket that we have not yet used. Okay? And that's that word doubt. if if it shows back up in Matthew chapter 28... Um, 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Why? Like, and I, I first of all, I, I just love the honesty of the scriptures. Um, isn't that a wonderful thing? Please be with me on this one, guys. We love honest scriptures, okay? And, and honestly, and when I teach my students, whom also are my apprentices, uh, when we teach in, in Refuge on Wednesday nights, we talk about every word of the Bible is there on purpose. And so if it is there on purpose, then we must ask the question, why? Why bring up doubt at this moment when you are about to be sent out? Why now? Because doubt is far more human than we would care to admit sometimes. The nature of doubt is being presented with a choice between two ideas being held in tension. So really quick, everyone in here, I want you to take your fists, all right, and push your fists together like this, okay? Bonus points if you can make your knuckles white, but, you know, don't hurt yourself, but also, you guys kind of feel that when you line your knuckles up and there's this kind of back-and-forth action and stuff and they want to try to fit in the grooves. You guys feel that? Some of you guys are in pain. Please, take care of yourselves. We're going to have healing afterwards. But you guys, and when you guys, when you guys push like that, that's what doubt feels like. A, and the reason why we have doubt is because it's never an easy choice. You have no doubts about the hard choices. But with the, I mean, <laughs> we have no doubts about the easy choices, but when the choice is hard, this is what doubt feels like. You're pushing against yourself, and your hands are trying to find a place where they can be comfortable, but it's just not working. See, the only way to resolve doubt is to make a choice. And so what I believe is that as the disciples were walking up on that mountain to meet with the now-resurrected Jesus, to receive what would be called the Great Commission, you have to wonder what they were thinking. That they know Jesus, they're worshiping. That's not even in question. They're worshiping, but some doubted. And I like to think that, that, that perhaps they are weighing their options. And when, so when they say, okay, Jesus, who? Uh, he's alive again. did not expect that. Wow. Um, Okay, so we're going to follow him. He is who he says he is. This is my rabbi. This is the teachings he gave us. I have a choice to make. If I'm going to take my rabbi seriously at the words that he purposely used, then I have a choice to make. And the choice is, do I take him seriously or not? do I radically alter my lifestyle so that it reflects what he has taught me to do, which is so bonkers of bananas. One of the things I like to remind us, if you guys have spent a long time in Christianity, one of the things that we have to be reminded of that what we are doing here is still insane. And it only makes sense because of Jesus Christ. This, what we have grown up with, still is not how the world does things. And it's good for us who have spent a long time in this building to be reminded that what we are doing is still radically different than what was expected of this world. And so, and honestly, some of you guys may be here today um, where you have spent a long time worshiping Jesus, but perhaps you're still doubting about that choice. And if that is true, you're safe. You are okay here. Like I've already said, the people at FBC have shown great care and commitment to the flourishing of the people, not just the children, but of the people. So if you find yourself, say, ah, yes, Jesus, absolutely, but I'm still doubting. That's okay. I want to remind you of like what Slade had talked about. Come to me, who you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If that is you today, you're in a good place to be. Please feel welcome and know that you're not as alone as you think you are. (sighs) But we need to talk about this choice. Because we've talked about earlier the reality of authority is that we are able to choose whether or not we allow it. And us, as modern Western Christians living in a modern Western world, we have to look at and carefully examine the culture around us because there has never been a culture more committed to its own autonomy and independence than modern Western culture. We are fiercely independent. And so a question that I have to ask you guys that I would invite you to reflect on, is it a possibility that your authorities are not properly aligned? Now, uh, what I'm about to do here is I want to invite you guys to reflect on this. Um, This is not a critique. This is not a condemnation. These are observations. And once again, I already told you guys, you're in a safe place. But we have to ask these questions. Is it possible that we struggle with this idea of authority when we live in a country that annually celebrates its declaration of independence from authority? Is it possible that we struggle with this idea of submitting to one another when we, who live in the cultural South, still wrestle with the choice and decisions that were made to secede from the union almost 100 years ago? How are you guys doing out there? You good? You want to do one more? Let's do one more. How many of you guys are like me and a native Texan? Oh, no one? Oh, okay. (laughs) Do you think it's a possibility? I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying, is it possible that we have a problem with authority when we also dwell in a state that celebrates and honors its own war of independence from authority? I want, you guys to, I want you guys to reflect on this. So it's not for me to tell you what is and what isn't. It's me to invite you to reflect on what Christ is doing in your life and what he invites you to. As we talked about already, apprenticeship is automatic. Apprenticeship is default. You cannot live this life without apprenticing something. And because of how our lives are structured, we sit under multiple authorities and we are apprentices to multiple things. And honestly, for those of us who have spent a long time as Christians, you will never, never get to the point when following Christ as your authority is the default position of your brain. Why? Because he's not here yet. Because the redemption been—the redemption of all things has not yet finished. And until we get to that point, every day you and I must decide to make him the authority in our life. To be an apprentice of Jesus requires the intentional decision to allow him to influence your opinions, your thoughts, and your behaviors, and your values. That is a daily thing that we must do, and we must never lose sight of that fact. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That's right. We will turn back. (laughs) <laughs> that's okay, because that's the nature of our lives. And so we must continue to make that choice. And so in closing, I have some responses for you guys, and I want you guys to have some fun with these. Um, and also, these are things that I have done myself. Um, and so, so here you go. First response is, with the group, find the other passages in the book of Matthew that use the word authority, find them, and notice their context. If you have good uh, netbible.org, it's a free online uh, Bible software. It makes this job really, really quick. Um, But the key word there is with the group. This is not a personal devotion type thing. We'll set that aside for now. This is a group thing. Family devotions, life groups, small groups, uh, people you meet with for coffee, that, that kind of thing, gather together, spend some time, and find the other passages. I didn't tell you what they were on purpose, because I want you guys to find them. I don't want you just to listen to me. See for yourself. And I guarantee you, if you do these things, and if you notice the context around them, there is a chance that your mind may be blown. And I would sincerely hope for that. Because, guys, delving into Scripture is an exciting process because, once again, when you have an infinite being that we serve, you can always learn new things. Am I right? Man, I hope so. Studying Scripture can be exciting. So we're going to make it do a little word find. Find the word authority in the book of Matthew and notice and see how they're connected. I guarantee you there's something interesting, if not amazing, that you will see. And when you find those discoveries let me know. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, email. You can come up to the church. We can go out for coffee and stuff. I am genuinely curious to see what you see. The next response is make a chart of all your accepted authorities, okay? So this is an individual exercise. So I want you guys to sit down and write down everything that influences your thoughts, opinions, and behaviors, okay? Should take like five minutes. No? Okay. (laughs) Right. And so, but, but I mean, I've made one myself. Would you guys like to see mine? Okay. All right. This is what it looks like. There's very few rules involved and stuff. Now, keep in mind, mine was, is too big to fit on this screen here, so this is an incomplete list. But this is what I have. On Jordan's authorities, I have my wife on there. I have my children. I have my counselor. I have different pot. A lot of guys. A lot of podcasts. I listen to a podcast a lot. Books, commentaries, novels, movies, institutions thinkers, doers, all these kinds of things that influence how I think, that influence my opinions, and that influence my behavior. So you can do it in a list format. You can do it in a spreadsheet. It's up to you. Now, here's a go. I have two rules for this. First rule is, for the sake of this exercise, do not, absolutely do not put God, Jesus, or the Bible. It's okay. You have my permission. All right. For this exercise, we're going to go ahead and assume that they are already at the top of the list. And so we're going to look at everything else that may compete with that. So for the sake of this exercise, do not put God, Jesus, or the Bible. It's okay. We'll put that on later on. But for this little experiment, don't. Okay. And the second rule is... Two-way relationships have to be prioritized above one-way relationships, okay? So as an example, uh, I love the author and speaker, Sky Jatani. I literally have all of his books. I listen to his podcasts whenever he speaks. I'm curious because I love how he treats Scripture, and he makes me want to learn about Jesus more. Okay. Now, however, it's very unlikely that I would have a chance to sit down with him at Silver Grizzly and kind of talk about the nitty gritty of life. So because of that fact, he has to go below any of my other two-way relationships because the whole nature of apprenticeship is back and forth, the both and. You cannot have one-way apprenticeship. That's not how it works. Jesus said so. Kind of. Anyways. All right. And then the last response I have for you guys is this. Let your closest relationship see your chart and ask for their opinion. Should be easy, right? Whoever you are closest to, so spouse, uh, parents—if you have children—I dare you to let your children look at your authority chart and say, "Tell me what you think." I guarantee you, I showed my wife Charity the chart, and and I guarantee you, if I had not put my phone on that chart, that would have been the first thing she'd notice. She says, "What about your phone?" Yeah, you're right, okay? So, this one perhaps may take the most bravery of the other three, but I think you guys can do it. We can do it, because once again, we are in a safe place, are we not? Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, if you could do these three three things, I have no idea what will happen, but I bet you'll be interesting. So, do these three things, and like I said, in the first one, let me know. Um, I love to hear people make connections in the Bible, and it makes me excited to then go look at my other Bible. So bless me with what you guys are learning about Scripture as well. So, guys, we're about to close here, and we began with this question, how are apprentices made? Okay, And so based on what we have studied through the Gospel of Matthew, this is how I would answer this question by willingly sitting under the authority of Jesus Christ to be healed and taught by him and the body of Christ and to hear and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And then if we can, like, here's the deal, guys. If we can do that, if we can spend some time wondering what that looks like, being in conversation, maybe perhaps even arguing, but if we can spend time doing that and committing to these three things... How cool would that be? And then I would even argue that if we get to this point, then from here we go and do the same for all nations. Guys, I love sharing the gospel of Christ, but if I go to share the gospel with the nations and I neglect the body of Christ, then I am in a terrible position. Because Christ said, no, don't go unless you're willing to sit first. Many people in our church have been going for years, and we applaud them, and we support them, and they do the hard work of going to the nations, but there is still a time when we can sit, and even those out in the field right now, they still find themselves sitting at the feet of other people learning and continuing that process, that lifelong process of learning what does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be here and now in my life. And honestly, guys, this is my hunch, okay? This is my hunch. If we can figure out what it looks like to teach, heal, and proclaim the gospel to one another, and we can get that kind of working, not the saying that we can figure it out perfectly, but if we kind of see what's going on here, then the nations would be clamoring to hear about Jesus, would they not? When they see what we are doing amongst ourselves, they would say, that's weird, that's different, I'm curious, I'm interested, oh my goodness, I want to learn more, please tell me about this Jesus, because I see the impact he has on your life, and I want that too. Guys, we're going to move into a time of prayer to close, Uh, and so um, uh, elders, deacons, uh, prayer warriors, staff members, they're going to be finding their way uh, up here, and we're going to close in prayer, Um, and honestly, this is an invitation for you guys too. If you need to be heard by somebody, now is that time. If there is something for you to say that people need to hear, do not ration and reason with why. No, it's not that important. I'll do it later. Don't. If it's your time, come up and be heard by these people. Perhaps you can open yourself up to healing today. That's not for me to say. I'm saying perhaps But as they come forward, I'm going to close in prayer. And then if you need to be heard today, if you need to be seen by someone, if you need hands laid on you so you can feel that tangible touch of the Holy Spirit of Christ working through his body to heal those around him, now is your time. Our Father who reigns in heaven... May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sustain us and forgive us as we forgive others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from evil. Thank you, Lord, for the invitation to participate in your work of redemption. Remind us of your humility when we feel confident. And when we are struggling, remind us of your gentleness and grace. And Lord, when we dis- when we <laughs> when we despair, remind us that you have a work in each of us, and that you always finish what you start. Lord, I ask for three gifts from you for us here today: give us your patience, give us your wisdom, and give us your perseverance. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. No, oh, where is everybody?